Hello and welcome to another episode of Metaverse Cast. We are on an exponential technology curve at the moment. Maybe you have followed the development with AI over the past months and it's going incredibly fast. So this episode is actually perfect timing. I'm talking to David Smith, who has been involved with people collaborating around tech and interactive 3D since the beginning. And one of the things that I really like about these kinds of conversations with people who've been involved that long is that you can kind of put things in a perspective. And David is really good at putting things in perspective. He's the man behind the game Rainbow Six. He did 3D movie sets for The Abyss by James Cameron. And he actually created one of the first 3D adventure games. And now he's on to something new. Let's hear what David has to say. Hello, David, and uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I've been looking forward to, to talking to you. Oh, thanks for having me. I can give you a little bit of background on, on myself. I think it's relevant to the conversation we're going to have. And also it gives you a bit of, I mean, it, it, some context here. So I've been very interested and focused on uh, two things in my career. One was collaboration. How do you engage with other people? How do you share complex ideas? And, and the other was interactive 3D. I got captured early on, on both of those. So, for example, I, I wrote the first real-time 3D adventure shooter game called The Colony. That one, you know, best adventure game of the year. For, I wrote it for the, on the Macintosh. I, probably a mistake, but it was, you know, I loved the Mac so much. But the that, that led to a number of things. One was Jim Cameron was making a movie at the time. And the, the movie was The Abyss. And he saw a pirated version of my game and asked if I would mind helping him visualize that set. So, and of course I'm going to do that. So he sent me the blueprints of the set of what it would, you know, kind of the 2D look. And I, I built it out in my game engine so he could literally walk around. This is the very first time anyone in Hollywood could actually see a set before it existed. And so he got a lot of screenshots from that. He got, he figured out what, what's the world, what's the camera going to see? In fact, they saw a whole section of the, of the set didn't even appear on camera, which was mar <clears throat> marvelous because it saved them a couple million dollars. They still haven't paid me, by the way. I'm still waiting. But they, so that was one thing. And that was, that kind of like got my interest. Second thing was Tom Clancy, the the author, played my game and got really obsessed with it. I mean, I, I was sort of where he was calling me once a week to to yell at me basically because of the very hard game and but he never asked for hints he just wanted to you know kind of vent a little bit i was reading one of his books at the time so it was kind of like very strange thing to have this very famous person calling me up regularly but we got to be good friends and he became both an investor and a board member for me and my company i just i started right after that which was Virtus corporation and we did a product called Virtus walkthrough which basically was a real-time 3d design tool for, for PCs and Macs and actually became a standard in Hollywood for doing design of spaces. So I was really pretty interested in, in, in 3D worlds. That What happened with Tom is uh, he wanted to do a project with me. So we he introduced me to the FBI hostage rescue team in Quantico, Virginia. And they took me on some of their training missions, which was incredible. What, what they did is they had these battle towns, big concrete towns. I mean, no one lives there. But so we're up on this big tower looking down on it, these big black helicopters fly over our heads and these black clad ninjas come down off the ropes off the helicopters and start blowing things up. And it was like, this is amazing. So I, I called Tom after that and said, hey, we've got to do a game on these guys. I've never seen anything like this. It's bigger than a movie. And he said, well, if you do a game, I'll do the book. And so that became Rainbow Six, which was a huge hit on the game side. We started Red Storm Entertainment together. And so that 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 was a win. But probably more importantly, I, uh, from the Virtus 
product, one of the first breakthrough product of the year for Mac user. But through that, I met Alan Kay. Alan, I'll uh, give you a little bit of context, is considered the father of the personal computer for a very good reason. He envisioned this idea he called a Dynabook, which was basically a tablet-sized device. This is actually my phone now, but the, it was a little bit bigger than this. And he he had visited the University of Illinois and seen their uh, the first LCD displays, which were only about 16 by 16 pixels. But he knew that this is going to grow and you'd be able to have a computer behind it. So he was at, he joined Xerox Park and he wrote a paper describing this called a personal computer for children of all ages. And it was based on a, a number of ideas. First of all, the, the, the ideas that um, uh, Doug Engelbart had, Doug had demonstrated, you know, kind of the future of computing in 1968 and a thing called mother of all demos. We call it that today. It wasn't called that then. And, and we're in there, he showed collaboration. He showed hypertext. He showed even video conferencing. And he even showed, here's a shared screen. Both of us are working together to understand and, and, and build together. The other thing Alan was very interested in was children and how children would program and, and engage. So he so this Dynabook idea, when he wrote it up as a, as a paper in 72, he describes two children, the very first thing, he's like, these two kids are playing a game together, which is no surprise, that's what kids do. But what was really interesting, and yeah, you know, they're all on each on their own Dynabook device. And remember that these tablets didn't exist in 1972. And, and so they kind of get bored with the game because it's too easy. And so they say, hey, let's fix it. And they literally dive into the code together, collaboratively to fix that. And, and then they play the game again, and it's harder and more interesting. But And, and the girl wins again because she wins the first one. It was, it was like, okay, that's the vision of the future. And what happened was uh, the group at Xerox decided we want to build that vision, build to that vision. And so they created the what we know as a Xerox Alto today. They, they also referred to it as the interim Dynabook because it was the, the future of system. And of course, it was the first real, what we think is modern personal computer. And, and in fact, if I sat you down in front of it in 1975 or so, which is what, almost 50 years, you would already know how to use it because you've been using that interface. So Alan invented pop overlapping windows with that. Our other partner, Dan Ingalls, invented pop-up menus. Dan Ingalls, by the way, is the person who did the demo to Steve Jobs Uh when Steve visited Xerox Park of, of of the Alto, and Steve later said, within ten minutes, he knew that every computer is going to work that way, and that became the Macintosh. But going back to why you know I'm, I'm meeting Alan, and both of us realized that the next big steps, because this is the missing part of the Alto, was collaboration. Now, how do you engage with other people? How do you see what they're doing as they do it? The problem with the Alto was it was a personal computer, and you know they had they even invented Ethernet at, at Xerox Park to see just how impressive this place was. But they and they could communicate, they could share files, they could share emails, texts, that sort of thing. But they couldn't really collaborate in the in the way that Alan had thought of and the way that Doug had demonstrated. And so that was the big task. We saw that the future was two things: collaboration and interactive 3D. So we started a project together called the Croquet Project. We invite, invited David Reed to join us. David's background is also very interesting. He was the architect of the UDP protocol and he was co-architect of TCP IP. Uh, he was, Alan calls him the slash in TCP IP because he's the guy who figured out that TCP should be on top of IP. By the way, we, we're using it right now. Any, anytime you use the browser, anytime you're using the internet, you're using TCP IP for sure. You might be also using UDP if you're playing games, but usually not. Um, so David's thesis was this idea of replicated computation. How do I share ideas? How do I share information? How do I, and his, the, the vision of, of his system, uh, of his thesis was we have replicated computation. In other words, I'm running a virtual machine on my system, you're running on yours, and it's running bit identical. So whatever happens on my system happens on yours. The trick is how do I ensure that when I do something that happens on your system and when you do something happens on my system. And that was the project that we started. We started the Croquet Project 
and we built the first system. It was done in small talk, which is maybe why a lot of people hadn't heard of it, but it was a critical first step to what I call an augmented conversation. And that is um, coming up, you know, we're someday we're going to be wearing glasses like we're wearing right now, except they're going to be active and live. Think of that Dynabook vision that Alan had, where now you and I talk, a computer AI is listening in part of that conversation because that's the real thing. I mean, we've been had, having that vision forever. Now it looks like we can do the AI part. And the AI generates a simulation between that both of us can engage with and interact with. You know, this is, to me, the whole point of what people call the metaverse. The metaverse is more than anything a communication platform that allows us to engage this way, to talk to each other and share ideas and solve complex problems, going back to Doug Engelbart's vision. So after that project, I wound up as a senior fellow of Lockheed Martin, where, where I led a team to build a version of the of of the system for the Defense Department, we built a you know this collaboration framework for for the for, but still used by the military today. But when I left there, Alan said, "Hey, let's make the real thing." So you know, one of the things that's really important to understand is that the operating system for the for the metaverse for this collaboration isn't going to be an Android device. It's not going to be an iPhone device, it has to be something new where collaboration is foundational, where everything you do can be shared instantaneously. And, and so we uh, started a project. I inherited Alan's, Alan's team. They were part of Y Combinator Research. They were a peer group to open AI. And they joined me to build this thing that we've been working on, which we still call Croquet, companies called Croquet Corporation. But what it does, it enables you to build applications that don't require what they call netcode. In other words, you don't think about the application and how to wire it up so that what you see is what I see. It's automatic. You know, basically, you know, I think of it as here's this virtual machine that I, I was talking about earlier that's running bit identical on my phone and on my PC and my headset. And so anything I do is automatically instantaneously updated on all those other devices. There's no complexity to it from the developer's perspective. There's no rollbacks. There's no, all you do is figure out what is it do I that I want users to be able to do? What is it I want them to think? You know, how do, how do they engage with each other? So, so that was the a critical first step. You know, when we think about how do I explore this future world and it enables this idea I've talked about earlier, this augmented conversation where, you know, anything I can think, I can explain, I can then share. And, and that's really, as I, as I said earlier, the, the metaverse is all about communication. The question was, how do we make that work when they're not connected? And we had the same problem that Xerox had with Alto. You couldn't recreate those that vision of Doug Engelbart. Well, we solved that problem. And now the next step is, building applications that it, take advantage of that capability. And, and we were talking earlier about games. Of course, games are a really great place for it. A good example, most games have a very limited vocabulary. What I mean by that is that you, know, you can move, you can shoot, you can kill, or you can die. It's kind of maybe a little more than that, but not much, right? That's And there's a reason for that. There's two reasons. One is people like doing that. The other reason is we know how to do that. That's one of those things you can have a server, it can say adjudicate who dies, who lives, that sort of thing. Um, but when we want to expand from that, when we want to start thinking about more interesting things, you need a much larger vocabulary. In fact, you need sort of an infinite vocabulary. Anything that you can describe should be uh, doable. And so in a sense, when we talk about augmented conversation, just like I'm having a conversation with you, there's no limits to what I can say except I, I might want to avoid, avoid profanity, but I, I can do it if I want. There's no limits. But what if, as I talk, the the system generates those simulations and they're live for both of us, they do exactly the same thing for both of us. And, and that really was the system, that's the goal of the system we built to enable that augmented conversation. And this, by the way, I think is really, when you think about why hasn't the metaverse taken off? And there's a number of reasons. The main one, I think, is the devices are <clears throat> not there yet. And but an example, I'll, I'll, 
I'll, I'll give you is smartphones existed before the iPhone. People think they have some, some people probably think iPhones have been here forever and they haven't. You know, there was a BlackBerry, which is actually a pretty good device. There was a Palm device and they were actually transitioning to creating, turning the Palm in, in, into a phone. So these things were there, but they weren't quite right. They weren't quite finished. And even the first iPhone wasn't quite there, but it was better than everything else. Alan Cade refers to these things as good enough to criticize when you get to that point. And in a sorry, way, sorry, what do you mean by that? Because that's interesting. I've been working with design and 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 I knew the Palm Pilots and and iPhones and all that kind of stuff. So good enough to criticize. You know, can you break that down a little bit? You know, what's the yeah. meaning of that? So when the Macintosh came out, it was based on the ideas. I mean, as I mentioned, Steve Jobs visited Xerox Park, saw the interface there, the overlapping windows. Uh, you know, the the what you see is what you get. And he said, this is, he said within 10 minutes, he knew that every computer is going to work this way. And so he, he created a team to create the Macintosh. I'm using a Mac right now, for example. And Alan, when the Mac came out, it was a like a mini Alto. It didn't have a lot of what the Alto, what really made the Alto. It didn't have object-oriented programming. It didn't have the networking. It didn't have a lot of things, but it had the soul of that system. And really demonstrate for the first time to anyone who had a couple thousand bucks in their pocket that they could do modern computing. They could start using a computer to to really as a thinking device instead of just sort of like a, a text editor. And so he referred to that computer as the first computer good enough to criticize because it was kind of at another level. And when we look at head mount displays, and, and you know, I've been doing this for a long time, I, I look at the, the Quest Pro. I have one just for fun. I have one right here. And it's basically the same device that I was playing with 20 years ago. Resolution is better, it's faster, but it hasn't taken that step function. You know, It's kind of like this gradual improvement in the hardware, but it's not at all improved on the software side you know it's still just as bad and and unwieldy very difficult to write applications very difficult to share so in a, in a sense we we haven't seen the big step function that enables us to transcend the, the device and, and that's uh, what i mean good enough to criticize is it has to be good enough to be able to say and this plus you know when you're criticizing, you're not always saying, oh, this is all bad. You're saying, this is how it can be better. And, and, yeah. and I think that's what we can't really say about the current crop of devices. It's like, oh, it does what it does. It's pretty good. But, you know, how, how do you make it better? Well, you know, what is the, the missing piece? And it isn't necessarily the hardware, although I do think, you know, this future where, where you're wearing a pair of glasses that look like this, but it enables this ability for you and I to communicate is is the thing. That that device plus our ability to engage with each other. In other words, it isn't hardware and it isn't software, but it is the two together. And that was what they did at Xerox. That's what they did at Apple when they built the Mac. They said, let's build the system. And the system was what was magic. Uh, when they built the iPhone, it was a system. What are the things that go into the iPhone and how do they interoperate with each other? It was a really seamless experience right out the bat. That's why I think Apple may build something that is good enough to criticize. And that's, I'm, I'm hoping because what happened with the iPhone, of course, was it forced everybody out of their hole and said, oh my gosh, this, is, this changes everything. That means I have to change too. That meant that you know, Google was deathly afraid, for good reason, that they were going to lose the mobile space. And you know, what's the biggest space on the internet right now? It's mobile. You know? And so they, they realized they had to do something big to get to catch up. And that's how Android, they literally bought that company and built out that infrastructure. And Android's the largest phone platform on the planet. So that's what we need here. We need something that is going to capture people on the one hand it's good enough 
to actually do the things we think about need to be done. And the other side is it has to be scary. Has to, when you're good enough to criticize, it's also good enough to be scared of. And, and, and that is going to create the virtuous cycle of competition that forces the stuff to get much better very, very fast. Even the iPhone, the first iPhone wasn't that great. They had hundreds of thousands of sales. It wasn't like a huge thing, but it was an exponential curve. We don't see that quite yet. We don't see that in these devices. You know, they're kind of a little bit shaky. And why? Because they're just okay. And, you know, I, I keep in mind how you do these things, by the way. You don't just throw, like Meta's throwing billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people at the problem. That's not how you do it. The Xerox project, they had 25 people initially. They had a vision and had clarity and had the 25 people were really, really good. Okay. So, it was, you know, it's, but it was 25 people. And uh, the same thing was true of the Macintosh. The original Macintosh team was 25 people. That's not like this magic number. It could be a little bigger, maybe a little smaller. Google was teeny tiny and and running the whole system in a closet. Um, but they had a clear vision of what it should be. Of course, they, they changed over to becoming an ad business instead of a search business, but that's okay too. But they, they launched with a very small group that did something amazing. You can't do, I, I don't think you can do amazing things with super large groups, except space programs. You know, you can go to Mars, but you really can't do these kinds of human systems with super large groups because you lose the center. You have a lot of middle management that's all interested in, like, I won't say self-promotion, but you're not looking at vision anymore. You're looking, I'm gonna build this thing. I'm gonna build this thing. And does this thing matter? I don't know. Are, are you building the thing that is transcendent or not? And you know, clearly clearly in Meta's case, they, they're, they're not, they can't, they, they're not getting there and that's, one of the things that that that's design of the design is wrong, you know. I mean, as a process, you talked about design process. It's like, well, you don't know where you're going. You're certainly not going to get there. You have to start with a pretty clear vision of what these things are. That's why I talk about the internet, the metaverse. The metaverse is a communication platform. And as soon as you get that context, it's a forcing function. It's like. Does this help me communicate better? Does this thing make it easier for me to engage with another person? And why this is important too, every phone on the planet, every phone can call every other phone. Think about that. That's like, okay. So, so and, and as soon as I say this is a communication platform, that means that every wearable device in the future has to be able to engage with every other wearable device. So that means, you know, I have a maybe Google Glasses in the future, and you have Apple devices. Somebody else has a Meta device. Well, you know, if they're all in their own little worlds, then we can't communicate. Then they don't do what phones do, but they have to. They have to be able to engage that way. So, so that's why I, I think of this as not just a communication platform, but it's in a lot of ways the same as the browser. To, you know, when we when we use a browser, any browser works with every single other. Uh, web page, right? I can go, I can take this browser and go to any page I want, use this browser and go to any page I want, and they all pretty much work. So in a sense, the the browser is the future of the phone when we add that communication layer to it, yeah. which is one of the things we're very interested in. I, I see what you mean. I've heard, you know, the story about Sony PlayStation. You know, they were like completely shut off. You know, you play one game on PlayStation and you wouldn't be able to play with people on an Xbox and stuff like that until Fortnite came around. And then there was the, so much, so much audience on many different platforms that they had to open up so that you can engage on playing Fortnite in, in whatever device you're on. And and that also brings me back, brings my thoughts around to what you mentioned about TCP IP because that seems to be like if we're looking at metaverse it's like you know what's that one like common accessible to all technology that 
that people will build upon, you know, no matter what label or brand of device you have, because, and you know way more the, about this than I do, but TCP IP was open source, right? It's part of the internet infrastructure. It's not yeah. just... So it was just like, it was not, you know... It was by the government. Yeah. It was, you know, the... In fact, going back to Doug Engelbart, uh, there were the first two nodes of the internet, and you had to have two, you couldn't do one, right? Wow. Uh, was UCLA and Doug Engelbart's lab at SRI. So that's how, I mean, you think about the internet, it is a communication medium that enables all of us to engage. Some of it's static, we go web page, some of it's very live. So we go, you know, we, we can do video inside of a browser. The internet was a project that was funded by ARPA you know, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is a government organization, they, they changed to DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, which was probably the biggest mistake I think our government's ever made because ARPA created this incredible, I mean, they're really the fount in a sense of where the internet came from, where modern computing came from. All Everybody at Xerox Park, for example, was funded originally by ARPA. And so they, they, they were all this, this, it was a magic golden time that enabled them to invent, as like I say, they, they invented this future that we live in today. And it all came out of ARPA. So and in fact, it wasn't, I mean, think about it. It was an open source project in a sense, but it was before this idea, before Richard Stallman kind of invented the idea of open source and free and open source. So, so yeah, it was the internet's been open from the very first moment. What you pay for is really kind of transport. You know, when you you're paying for AT and T, or you're paying for who, you know, I've got Google Fiber. You're paying for access to that, but. The infrastructure is free. The TCP/IP is a stack that was defined back then by, among those, David, David Reed, and we take it. It's a utility, really. You know, I mean, yeah. it's and that's the way you should be thinking about it. And if you look maybe, at if you look at that in a, from a metaverse perspective, it seems like everybody is kind of building their own silo. There isn't this like a common rails. That that everybody is is looking to build on, or right. or is there? I don't know. No, I, I, they they want to recreate the infrastructure that exists. So Meta wants the Facebook of the metaverse, where you're captured in there, content is captured in there. The problem with it is, um, it's sort of like, well, my phone can only call other people who have that phone. Right. So imagine a world where iPhones can only call other iPhones. And, and that's weird. Right. I mean, that's like that's unworkable. That's stupid. But that's the kind of thing that they're trying to do when they say, oh, yeah, well, anybody in here can talk to anybody in here. And, you know, that's great. Well, I'm not going there. And that means I can't talk to you. It's, you know, so you really and this goes again back to what I said. As, you, as soon as you understand what the thing is you're trying to build, then you understand all these other dynamics. As soon as you understand the metaverse is a communication platform, and that means wall gardens are the stupidest thing that could exist in a communication platform. Because I can, if I dial a random number on my phone, I'm going to reach somebody probably. Well, that's really important to be able to, to be, have that fully friction-free where I'm able to engage with you. Actually, more than that, I'm talking to you. The third person walks up to us and could instantly join. And that's one of the system. That's, you know, our operating system was designed for that. You can join instantly and have that three-way conversation. That per, that simulation we were engaging with is now also shared by this third party who says, oh, that's wrong. Let me look, let me show you, right? That's, that's, the, um, that's the whole point of, what the metaverse really is and that's that's why yeah it, it's sort of like trying to be aol and if you remember america online years and years ago and they said ah we're going to own the internet uh it's like no you're not you're you're going to be a memory and that's the way it works you know this is i i think that the the requirements of the system transcend anything that anyone else can do 
it's going to tell us what it, it needs because that's the businesses that are going to be successful are the ones that feed what it needs. And, and if you go try to go against that, you're going to fail. And I think that's really the, that's what makes it so exciting, by the way. I mean, it's a really, really interesting time. And, and you know, when, when it, and again, when I talk about communication, this augmented conversation, what's it augmented by? It's augmented by a computer. It's augmented by an AI. And we think about these AIs that are evolving and emerging. They're a centerpiece, I, I think, in what the metaverse really is as well. I think far more important than Web3. Web3 is sort of an interesting thing and maybe allows us to securely share content, maybe. You know, that's not, I don't think we've proven any of that yet. But AI is going to be right there. I mean, is think about where the, the, this, I say something and the computer understands what I'm saying and makes that right in front of us in a way that now we can sort of criticize but i like that word because that's kind of i mean you know I mean, it, it, you're, you're able to to look at it and say oh that's not quite right try this or you and i are saying oh that's interesting you know it's like here's this mathematical structure that we're visualizing and exploring and say hey come over here look at this you know it's like wow what isn't that interesting it, you know it's like you're going on a field trip but you're going to math land and you're exploring these wonderful structures that you can see, maybe you even hear them. I don't know. It's like, and what's creating all that? You know, it's like it's some some AI is taking this, you know, kind of complex equation and generating something that is understandable to us and engageable by us. That that's really, you know, build an operating system that does that. Then then you know, then I think the vision of what this can be is finally achieved. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds great. I think it's super interesting points. One of the things I think it was back in the early days when I started this podcast. It was like late twenty one. It was actually right when Zuckerberg changed his name to Meta. I was like, okay, I want to be an independent voice in that whole stream of content that's coming. And and uh, I one of the things that I kind of had the feeling of from from a for a long time is that. You know, because everybody now is talking about community, 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 community. It's going to be, you know, it's it's getting used in the wrong ways. You know, all the marketing departments are now, you know, now they know they're supposed to build communities and then they use some kind of community platform and they, you know, and we get more of these like dead zones in the internet for these, you know, there was a community for two weeks. And I was thinking like, okay, the ones who are going to nail it are going to be the ones who can make have give us the same feelings as when we are sitting in a room together, but we can work together from, you know, two different sides of the planet. Yeah. And I was thinking like, okay, cool. You know, that's easy to, easy to say, but what, what are the actual parameters? You know, what are the boxes that you need to check for, for that sensation to actually become reality? Do you know? That's a really good question. And, well, I, I think obviously one of the problems with community today is a lot of these places, there's no there there. There's nothing to do, right? I mean, it's like, well, I can see you, but I, I actually get a better experience in Zoom, to be honest. So that that, that, that just going to a 3D world and, and kind of seeing a, an avatar doesn't really move the needle. And But when you're working together, you know, the, the reason you go to the office, I mean, we have a small company and we have, we meet up and when we meet up, we're exchanging ideas. And when I tell you something, then you say, oh, what about, you know, so you build this and, and you might be working on a whiteboard or you might be sitting together at a computer and, you know, showing, I'm showing you something. Hey, have you tried this? And and so you get this really nice engagement. It's more than nice. It's a necessary thing of exploration of ideas. And, and you know, with the whiteboard, you can kind of see the ideas, right? You can engage with those ideas. And and we're seeing, in a sense, that enables that. I mean, not outside of the quote metaverse. Figma is a good example of a an application that allows you to explore ideas with other people. I mean, and they just sold for twenty billion dollars to Adobe. 
So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that idea you're talking about is spot on for what has to happen, but it's not. I, I, I will a little bit back is games are definitely a win here because there's something to do. You know, they may not be the most sophisticated things and you're not necessarily creating too much in those worlds, but, but they're, they're, they're kind of a, a necessary ingredient where, you know, you, you're having fun together. You're, you know, doing something that is intrinsically interesting, but definition of game it has to be, you know, interesting and compelling in some way. So, so, uh, so taking that into the workplace is somehow has to be accomplished, but in the workplace you create, you don't, you don't consume. This is one of the big problems I think with the iPhone is it's a consumption device completely. You really you can make videos maybe with it and maybe do a little editing, but for the most part, 99.99% of the iPhone is you consuming information. We need to change that. The metaverse has to be a creation. It has to be a place where ideas become real and explorable and 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 that's the you know going back many many years to doug engelbart's vision of the of computing that's what he thought of is the computers a place where we meet to to create and he even said if we don't learn to solve our problems collaboratively we're doomed I think that's right. You know, we we the problems we face today are far bigger than ever in history. You know, it's like the, it's a very very dangerous but exciting time, and we're going to have to solve these problems in a very different way. We're not going to be able to just have a guy in a room and say, "Oh, this is it." It's going to people who are harnessed together with a clear vision. By the way, going back to that, but you know, you know when you have twenty five people working on a thing you can imagine the communication bandwidth is very 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 high which is one of the reasons maybe that number is the right number for doing very very hard problems is you know it's like there's only so much you know you add too many people and bandwidth gets diluted so you can't solve those problems anymore so yeah I, it's it's hard to say but I, you know I, i'm pretty i'm pretty bullish on on what people call the metaverse Alan hates that term, by the way. He thinks it's been co corrupted and co-opted. So it doesn't mean what Neil Stevenson kind of originally imagined anymore. But you know, what's a what's a good term? Uh, a dinoverse is one I like. But going back to the dino book, yeah. uh, but, but we need we you know whatever it is, it's coming, and it isn't going to take off until it's kind of got that until it solves the, that fundamental problem of understanding that it's a communication device. I like that lately. I work, I work in a in a digital innovation department of a, a big Danish energy company. Uh, and and it's like, you know, we have these goals or visions. And I, I remember there's a quote that I really like. I can't remember his name because I'm stupid with names, but the founder of Rackspace, he had this quote, you know, all we ever want is to be valued members of a winning team on an inspiring mission. Yeah. You know, and if, if you take these three bits and everything, you know, if you're building something for a customer or you're building something internally, you know, you can you can check it up into this like kind of equation. And I think like, okay, you can check into what you're building with Metaverse. It's a collaboration device. And if we can break that down even further into maybe three parts from that, okay, what is collaboration? Then we can always see, okay, are we going in the right direction with this? You know, is it is it like you say, you know, one of the parameters could be it has to be able to call every other device. Otherwise, you know, we're not moving in the other direction. And I like these kind of like super huge vision points as uh, as you know, like north stars of, of what you are like where we're heading and what we are thinking when we're building, because then you can take these 25 people, you know, with different skills and put them together and then okay we don't know what lies between here and there but but these are the things that that we can help them we know we're at least going in the right direction that's right yeah and that's why you need a vision you need a, a, a and and also i think you need that understanding you know it's just it's so 
crucial uh, just like saying oh we're going to get together in a 3d world and it's like that that's nothing that's not a vision but you know this ability to explore that's what I, I think you have to remember that humans are valuable they're smart they're interesting and you want to do everything you can to amplify those values of humans you know it's like let's let's make you know let's let's make humans something that are, are transcendent it's like every time we create new tools and technologies and capabilities humans improve i mean i you know i think we are very much an improved species because of the take the way we think the way we talk and the technologies we've developed and i think you know, you know, we think in terms of language. You know, when you think about, we, you're thinking right now, you're putting words together. You see, you describe these things almost to yourself. Well, you know, mathematics is a language, an extraordinarily powerful way of solving very complex problems that is central to physics and mechanics and engineering. Everything is like mathematics is a language, but it allows us to, you know, be transcendent. Music is another language. You know, any asking musician, you're, you, you know, especially you're playing jazz or something, you're listening as much as you're playing and you're adding to this conversation. Well, the metaverse, I think, has to be think thought of as a language in a way that's going to enable us to think things we couldn't think before, to engage with things we couldn't engage with before, and in particular, collaboratively so it's sort of alan said the computer is an instrument whose music is ideas and I, I i've said that if that's the case then the augmented conversation is jazz you know we're going to be able to make a new kind of music together in this new world yeah yeah that's that is definitely interesting and i like these kind of you know bigger visions and speaking about visions, let me know, you know, tell me a little bit about Croquet, the company, what are you doing? What's the point? What's, what's your yeah. vision? So we started the company to build the system. It's a kind of operating system that actually is web-based. So when you join a Croquet world, and it's really easy to use, by the way, much easier than trying to do. It's, it's a multiplayer system, multi-user system that allows you to create even complex 3D environments and share those uh, collaboratively. Every, it's collaboration. I mean, it's, a, it's an operating system that's collaborative all the way down. So you can use it. People are using it for games. We're using it for, we talked earlier about industry, digital twins. And that's one of the projects we're working with with a very large company right now. Actually, a number of companies. Our, our goal is to provide a platform that enables all the stuff I've been talking about from the beginning, how do you create applications that are transcendent, that allow us to have a huge vocabulary of interactions, but also operate at 60 to 120 hertz, because that's what's going to be happening when we're wearing glasses. So latency matters. So as I mentioned earlier, this, the original Croquet and this, this one as well is a kind of a virtual machine where it's run bit identical on your system and on mine. And then when I interact with, with the local version, instead of going directly into this virtual machine, it's it's indirect via what we call a reflector that doesn't have any state. It's it's so we, we send a message to that, it puts a timestamp on, redistributes it back to everybody, including me. And then we execute all the sort of pending simulations in that up to including the, the new event that just occurred. That means now. You're able to do real-time interactions with other people instantly, no, no complexity, no rollbacks, no what they call net code. The developer doesn't have to worry about that. They just worry about what does the user do here? What can the user do here? And I talk about simulation a lot, but uh, think about like your, win your, your windowing system on your computer, you're simulating pieces of paper that you're dragging around moving. That That's almost every part of a modern interface on computers is a simulation platform. So that, that's what I mean. And and Croquet does it. You know, it's this, it was, in some ways we think about it as a missing protocol of the internet because it's something it should be there. And, you know, and like I said, the team that built it, um, 
kind of created a lot of the stuff that we take for granted today, like, you know, Alan and, and David Reed, and even I, you know, kind of laid the foundations of what we think of as modern computing, modern computer games. So, you know, it, it's a real thing and it's a necessary thing. And, you know, we're making it available. It's, you know, we, we've been working on it for quite a while, but it's real now. And we, I think of it as a necessary thing for making the metaverse work the way it could so who who you know if anybody's listening here you know who should uh, turn their heads around and and look at and and check out what you've built you know who would it be interesting yeah. for right There's, now i think three kinds of people one is we built a version of the system we call showcase which when you go to our website croquet.io you'll be able to try out right there And it's a multi-user world where you can you know, drop videos that play synchronized PDF files, a bunch of other things inside there. You can just, there's no programming at all required for that. It has Adobe Spatial Sound, which is really wonderful. And so that that's sort of like the non-programmers who have a website can immediately share, share these roles. The second is we're working actually on a new uh, engine that supports game engines. So, so you'll be able to, right now, you probably notice that not a lot of multiplayer games on the app store. There's reasons for that. One is it's really hard and small teams can't do that. The other reason is you have to stand up the backend infrastructure. You have to pay for all that. It's expensive. The typical rule of thumb is multiplayer games are about three times the level of effort and cost over single user. But if you use Croquet, it's going to be the same as a single user all across the board. So you're changing that dynamic. We're going to have something coming out in the next few months that is going to change that game. We're pretty excited about it, where you'll actually be able to create multi-user applications so easily. It's it's going to be really wonderful. And the third is actually any developers who have the need to have this communication collaboration, particularly three. Uh, digital twins is one of the places that we are really good at, where you're able to project live data into a, a 3D world and share that, where it can run in your pocket. Because it's a, it's a browser-based system, although, you know, like I said, we're building so, uh, systems for uh, native game game apps. But with the browser system, you don't need to download anything. You just go to a website and you're instantly in and you're able to explore that space. So Croquet does. So that, that that's sort of... So the, our, our business, our foundational business is selling time on this network that we've built, you know, so, so which is a very standard business model. But we built a number of frameworks that are open source that on top of that, that you can just go grab and build on top and extend. Sounds great. Awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm definitely going to have a look at, you know, we talk a lot about digital trends and stuff like that around here. Is there any chance, are you, are you going to South by Southwest or something like that? Uh, I know one of our people will, will be there. I'm not sure if I'll be there, but uh, if there's a good reason, I will certainly try. <laughs> okay, because uh, I'm going and, you know, maybe I can get in touch with one of your people and get a demo or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah we can actually... Since it's web-based, we can actually demo. I could demo at any time for you. This is all virtual. So let, let's set up a time and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a demo. And I'm David at croquet.io. If, if anybody wants a demo, I'm happy to uh, set one up. It, it, it's actually pretty cool. One of the things you can do is live programming inside the system. You can literally modify the code of an a, a, of a entity inside that world while it's running and it's collaborative which is kind of creepy in a sense, you know, it's like, you're literally coding the world together. I, I just think that's, that's where it gets really what do you need because I, you know, I, you know, my coding skills stopped at the, you know, HTML. And I know that the, all my coder friends, they'll hit me because I called HTML code, but still what, what do you need to be, you know, what, what, what kind of the skills do you need to be able to JavaScript? This is JavaScript. Okay. It's yeah. JavaScript. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, David. That was an extremely interesting conversation. I think I, you know, I took a bunch of notes of, of stuff, and you know, so really happy that I do to have you on. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's always nice to talk about this, and you know, I, I it's really just the most exciting time in history. I, I think we're we're on an exponential curve in lots of them, actually. 
and you don't see these you know you're on it but you don't necessarily see it until it really takes off and we're beginning to see that with ai for example i mean that, that's pretty clear that's an exponential curve but i think the metaverse is also it's just not at the same inflection point yeah. but uh, i think in the next few years you're going to be riding a, a very crazy wave here it's going to be fun and scary and powerful and it's going to redefine us yeah I, I was there when they, uh, you know, opened up the World Wide Web, you know, and then that's what started my whole transition into digital. And I've been following that track ever since. And right now it feels, I know everybody's saying that, but it feels, you know, we have some of the same like feelings, like breakthroughs that we saw in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this I is delightful. And for anybody who's listening, you know, there's going to be links in the show notes to everything that David wants to share and, you know, in profiles, everything, you know, you know, just find it in the show notes, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. Have a great day. I don't know about you, but I thought that was an amazing conversation. I'm super stoked to get to pick the brains of a guy who's been involved for that long. Things are moving fast at the moment. We'll see where things are going. There's rumors when I'm recording this that Apple is coming out with their mixed reality device in June. There's also rumors that it's been postponed. As usual with Apple, there's rumors all over the place. But let's see, it's going to be interesting to see if it's going to change anything. Is it going to be that killer hardware that's going to change how we look at the metaverse. Currently, right now, March 2023, people are shutting down their metaverse projects. Or are they? I don't know. If you follow what's happening online, first it was blockchain, and then people kind of made fun of that. Blockchain is not dead. And now people are kind of making fun of metaverse but I think those who do that is probably the people who thought of the metaverse as this ready player one thing in the first place. And I never did. And if you heard the episode I did after reading Matthew Ball's book about the metaverse, because that's probably the best case for that ready player one scenario is very far off. And it's not even, possibly not even what we want. So if that's what people define as the metaverse, it's not dead. It never got started. I don't think that was ever the idea in the first place. Let's see. I'm going to keep on investigating and following the trends and see what happens. So see you in the next episode of Metaverse Cast. Mm -hmm.